Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's Dina Kaumetti here and Susan Davis with Jesus 24-7. And today we're going to continue in our series of Revelation for Beginners, chapters 7 and 8. So, Susan, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you so much, Dina. Glad to be back. Absolutely. So, Tell us, tell us about chapter seven and eight of Revelation today. Okay, well, we're going to get into it. Uh, but first, I want to take care of a little side business. And I want to thank everybody for following this series. Uh, this is a very long series like we haven't ever done before, but I think it's worthwhile. What we're doing here is called Revelation for Beginners. And the focus here is for anybody who's new to the Bible or perhaps, you know, been in the Bible for years and just never had the desire to tackle Revelation before, or you've been to a church and they've never discussed Revelation, because believe it or not, Dina, Revelation is a controversial book to a lot of churches. They don't want to touch it, right? Absolutely. They... I've heard pastors tell me personally that they don't want to scare the congregation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we get all kinds of things like that. And so we're here for you <laughs> if you've had these kind of situations. And it's just a shame that you haven't had a chance to really get into the book because the book is written for this generation more than any other generation. Right, Dina? That's right. We are that generation, you guys, the one that Jesus talks about. (laughs) Right, right. So just a quickie review of what we've covered. The word revelation is kind of a revealing. It's not plural. It's singular. Uh, Jesus is showing this to John, who is a disciple, one of his disciples who he shows this to. He's on the Isle of Patmos in prison there. And then Jesus shows up, shows this to him. And the general theme of the book is that God was, God is, and God will be, because we have an eternal God. And so chapter one is uh, the past, chapter two, which is also the introduction to the book of Revelation. Chapters two and three is the current, which is a look at the seven churches. And we go through that in a video that we did, chapter two, and then another video in chapter three, where we talk about the letters that Jesus has for the seven churches. And so then we go into chapter four and five. And chapter four is literally the rapture of the church the church being recompensed or rewarded another fancy word for the word reward we see the elders who are the dead in christ receiving their crowns and then throwing the crowns at jesus feet and all that takes place in four and then five and we also see at chapter five we see that jesus is the one who alone can open the seals and no one else and john sees this in this book Then we get into chapter six, we just did, which is the four horses of the apocalypse, which is, it's the six seals being opened. And there are 21 total judgments. And there are seven seals. And I don't mean animals. We're talking about like a wax seal on a document. (laughs) 
<laughs> and um, so we've got seven seals that are opened. We've got seven trumpets that are blown. And then we have the seven bowls, which is also known as vials. So when you hear vial, that means bowl. And when you hear bile, uh, bowl, that means vial. I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, there are 21 of those. And we just covered six in chapter six. And so that's very interesting. And But here we are. We're moving into chapter seven today. Now, I want to talk about Revelation as a single event. It was a single vision given to this man, John, by Jesus. And it's really interesting because it wasn't until about 500 years ago, Dina, that men numbered the Bible, that they set up verses and chapters and, you know, books and all of that. And men organized it. And, and sometimes I wonder why they put breaks, chapter breaks in the places they did and and things of that nature. Because in a way, chapter four and five could really just easily flow together as a single you know, thought. That's right. Split it up a little bit there. Uh, chapter four and five, we see John in heaven. And then in chapter six, he's back on earth where we see the beginning of the 21 judgments, starting with the revelation of the Antichrist in uh, the first horse. Okay, so now we are, and, and oh, please go back and watch the various videos if you haven't already and get caught up. If you are, you know, wondering what happened up to this point, we talk about it. Okay, so we're moving along and we're taking a snack break. Okay, <laughs> this is where we get out the chips and the dip and, you know, get our little drinks together and we take a break from the action of, you know, revelation here and tribulation. And so what is going on exactly is God takes a little, he takes a little side break. And chapter seven, he's going to talk about the 144,000 Israelites and the Gentiles. And he takes a break there. And then he gets right back into the seals in chapter eight, the seventh seal. So there's there's definitely a break here. And I think that's one of the reasons that people get really confused about Revelation, because it kind of does this ebb and flow kind of thing, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so that's one of the things we're going to try to explain is, okay, this is why this is going on, and you don't need to be confused, but here's what's going on. And so we'll try to hold your hand as we go through and make this as easy to understand as we can possibly make it. So we're going to take a break from those seals and get your chips and dip out because we're going to take a look at these 144,000 Israelites or the Jews. And let's take a look at verse 1. And it says, and after these things, okay, what are what is that? Okay, after... You know, we're talking about what happened with the, the seals, the six seals that were opened. It goes on to say, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Okay, so you kind of get a feel that things are real quiet, right? So then 
we take a look at two and it says, and I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Okay, so this is very interesting because we have talked before about the Antichrist being a copycat, the God. And we see that with the Godhead and the Godhead is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we see the situation with the the trio of evil is Satan, Antichrist, false prophet. Okay, and so in this instance, we see that God places a special seal on the forehead of his people. And that is very much similar to the mark of the beast that Satan puts also in both the forehead and the right hand, right? That's right, that's right. And boy, is that not a copycat of God, because we always hear about God talking about his righteous right hand. Wow. I mean, Satan is always mocking God, right? That's right. He can't think of anything on his own. He has to copy our God. Exactly, exactly. And if you study entertainment now that is secular and anti-Christian, boy, you're going to see a lot of it has to do with mocking God or all of that. Okay, let's go ahead with verse 4. And it says, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And verse 5 says, Of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. And 6 goes on, Of the tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Nathalem were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Seven says of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Eight says of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. And finally, of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. And so if you do the math, if you take 12,000 times the 12,000, you're going to come up with 144,000 if you do that math. And that's where that number comes from, for anybody who doesn't know. And yes, God has the Jews sealed, protected, and they go out and they go and they go out to reach their fellow mankind and for the Lord. And, you know, God's going to use them. God will use them. Because, you know, even though all this stuff is going on that we've seen previously, look at that. God still loves the people. Always. Always. Isn't that awesome? Always, yes. Right. And so we see that the Jews, midweek into the tribulation, and we talked about that already, so go back to a prior video, but midweek into the tribulation, three and a half years in, and the peace is taken from them, and boy, that's when they sit up and go, wow. I mean, previously, they believed the Antichrist, and, you know, they look to him, but then they find out that they've been let down. I mean, boy, it's, 
And that's when they start to realize what they've done. And God still loves them and goes after them. And we see that clearly here with the 144,000. So that's, that's just awesome that God, he never stops loving the people, even in the midst of all this tribulation, which they have coming, by the way, you know, so it's so exciting. Now, let's go on, and we're going to talk about the Gentiles. I'm going to talk about a group of Gentiles that's a large group, and it's enormous. And so this is in chapter 7, and I believe this is the revival of the lukewarm church. Okay, the church that is lukewarm during this time of the birth pains leading up to rapture, they're under what the Bible calls a strong delusion. And so you know what that looks like, Dina, and I know what that looks like. You know, it's we're going out and we're warning people, get ready, get ready. And they look at you like you just, you know, <laughs> lost a dog. Like, what are you yeah. talking about? Yeah, they have you know? no idea the timing that we're in right now in history, in Bible right. history. And, and they don't want an idea. They don't even want to hear about it. So, but when... They have been left behind when the Philadelphia and the overcomers in the seven churches are taken out. It is the remnant church, the little flock, the few. They are going to be left behind. They're going to know it. It's going to be a shocking time for them. And that is when one of the greatest revivals of all time will take place. And it will be huge. Okay, it's going to be big. And so let's see what John is seeing here in verse 9. It says, After this I beheld, that's John, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. And verse 10 goes on, They cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And that lamb is Jesus, by the way. Verse 11, it says, And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped. Now those elders were the dead in Christ that went out in the rapture because the dead in Christ rise first and then we, the living, follow behind them. Remember what I said, you know, when you see salt, you're going to always see pepper. So right. when you see the dead in Christ rising, it's like, but a bump, you know, it's always like <laughs> the two go together They're, You know, you're not going to have the dead in Christ rise first and not the, the true church, which is the bride of Christ going up the living bride of Christ. Those who are alive, they come out of the earth. And so what I'm trying to say here is we see the elders mentioned here, and that is the group that is worshiping along with these others who have come later through martyrdom. And verse 12 says, saying, Amen, blessing and glory, wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And so, wow, look at the praise. I mean, we've got the blessing, the glory, wisdom, uh, thanksgiving, honor, power and might. And it's not just for a little bit, it's forever. Now, one of these elders is asking a question of John in verse 13. And one elders answered, saying unto me, What 
are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? Here in verse 14, it says, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Okay, the Lamb here is Jesus Christ, and the washing of their robes in the blood of Jesus is not a literal, it's a symbolic thing. And what that means is that this church has acknowledged the work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and have received him into their hearts and made him their Lord and Master so that they become his true followers. But the elder is saying to John here that this group has come out of great tribulation. And let me tell you again about this group. You can go back and see this in verse 9. It says, John says he sees a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, people, tongues. And that doesn't mean just Jewish people. We're talking everybody, all types of people. And here's another interesting thing to note. They are not a small flock. They are not a remnant. They are not the few. This is a huge group. He can't even number them. It's a multitude, he declares, okay? Here's another thing. He does not recognize them. He has, the elder has asked him, who are these guys? And John says, I don't have a clue, but you must know. (laughs) John is saying this because he does not know who this group is, which is interesting because he had already witnessed the elders and the church, the true bride of Christ being recompensed after rapture in chapter 4. And here we are, we're in chapter 7, and there's been a lot going on between 4 and 7. But for the first time, we see John admitting that he doesn't know who this crowd is. This is not the same group. It is not the same group of people. And so we know that the raptured church was not found in tribulation. And so this should be something very exciting for those of us who are looking forward to the rapture. Right, Dina? That's right. Okay, let's move forward. And we can see in verse 15, it says, Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. And then finally, we wrap up chapter 7, which says in 17, For the Lamb, which is Jesus, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Okay, so wow, he's going to make it right for them, whatever they went through. And now, this is also interesting. I want people to look at verse 16 with me. Dina, let's go back to uh, 16 again. It says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. Okay, how do we know that this is not the raptured church at this juncture? Well, here it is. We're going to look at Matthew 24:36-39 and also Luke 17 verse 26 through 27 let me read it but of that day and hour no one knows no not even the angels of heaven but my father only but as the days of Noah were so also will the coming of the son of man be 
For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So that is a completely different look from what happens to this multitude. Okay, this multitudinous group that John sees, they are going to come out of a period of hunger, famine, and true horror, you know, as they have come out of the Great Tribulation. And it it says they're not going to hunger anymore. So that is definitely an issue for them. They're not going to thirst anymore. And wow, I I want you to take a look. Again, if you go back into chapter 6, where we talk about this on the third seal, the opening of the third seal, we look at the economy system changing. And boy, they had no food. Day's wage for a loaf of bread. That is a completely different look from this look here where they're eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and working and building and planting and sleeping. This is a whole different look, Dina. Normal life. They're just living their lives. Right. And it was leading up to the flood, okay? Because it's like the days of Noah. And the flood here represents tribulation. So it couldn't be any clearer that there are two separate groups. There's one of a pre-trib group, and there's this other group that is the, you know, the, the group that comes right out of the tribulation. And they're a huge group because the lukewarm church is huge right now. Huge. And that, sadly, is this group of people that are going to have to go through tribulation and do the hard thing and suffer. And it doesn't have to be. It does not have to be. The Lord is made a way. And so if you are like on the fence about this decision, you know, I say you need to get off that fence and think seriously about getting right with the Lord because these things are right at hand. This thing could happen at any moment, which is the Lord pulling his people free and tribulation is right at the door, basically. Literally. Literally. Yeah, I mean, we see what's happening in the world every single day. If you just read the headlines, we're getting closer and closer to a one world government, one world religion. Yeah, so time is short, you guys. I mean, none of that can happen until the rapture, but um, we're, yeah, we're even that much closer to the rapture. Right, and take it from Dina and I, because can't speak for Dina, but I've been watching the end time headlines for 10 years, and I've never seen anything like this in the 10 years I've been doing this. No, actually, I'm right behind you. I'm right there. I've been doing this for um, about nine years, almost 10, yeah. Wow, wow. And so you would concur with me, right? Absolutely. Wow. This is not a time to be sitting on your hands. It's definitely a time to get right with the Lord. Okay, so now, Dina, we're going to, we finished with seven, so our little snack break is over. We get right back into, (laughs) we're going right back into the seals. We saw these seals being opened, six seals previously, before chapter seven and chapter six, and now we are back to chapter eight, and God is opening again. The Lord Jesus opens the seventh seal. And so let's take a look. Verse one says... And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. Okay? And verse 2 goes on to say, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. 
Then we see in verse 3, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. So now we're at the throne of God, John seeing this, John, the disciple John, and this where it says verse 3, it talks about another angel. This is Jesus Christ himself, okay? And we know it because there are times when God refers to Jesus in the Old Testament as an angel. And we know that this is the case more than once. And how do we know? Because whenever it's an actual angel, a messenger angel, the prophets, Daniel and John, they had thrown themselves at the angel's feet because I guess there are awesome beings to uh, behold. And they always say, oh, no, 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 don't worship me. Worship God Almighty only, right? And so there's a couple instances, Dina, in the Old Testament in which an angel appears to the people, different people, and they throw themselves down, but they're not corrected. They're not told to stop worshiping. Like Abraham. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So understandably, these have to be Jesus. And so precarnate. Okay, Amen. so that's pretty exciting. Okay, so then it goes on and four, and it says, And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And five says, And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Oh, wow. Oh, boy. And that, that's big because we just had a half hour of silence. And so now we've got noise and a lot of it. Okay, verse 6, And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Okay, wow. This seventh seal, if you go back to your list, get your notes out, because we talked about 21 judgments are. 21 judgments are seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls, also known, a.k.a. vials. So if you hear a vial, a vial is a bowl. So not to be confused. Okay, I know some of this can be confusing, but I want to clarify that. So let's take a look here. The seventh seal is literally the announcement of the trumpets. So it's a, it's a transitional kind of thing. Okay, we're transitioning. The seventh seal is transitioning us into the trumpets. Isn't that interesting? So now we're going to go with verse 7, which is actually the first trumpet. And so this would be the eighth judgment. Okay? And so we're moving into the seven trumpets. And the first one says in uh, verse 7, The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burned up, and all green grass was burned up. And so, wow, let me just tell you that this is very possible because we see it in the Old Testament. I want to read this scripture. We can go back into Exodus 9:22 and 23, and it says, this is the time of Moses, and it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch forth thine hand toward heaven, that they there may be hail in the land of Egypt, 
And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran along upon the ground, and Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Okay, so we can see that this hail is definitely a judgment of God. And boy, I have to tell you, Dina, one time I was driving and boy, I got into some hail recently and you don't want this hail coming down on you. It is not pretty. It will. But I've seen, I've seen heavy hail. They're like baseballs that are coming down from the sky. Well, you know, I want to bring a, I want to bring a question mark to this scripture and see if you track with me on this. It says here, there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. It leads to a third part of the trees was burnt up. So it's interesting because, you know, I've seen hail as ice. I've never seen hail that would bring fire. Okay, if it's ice. I believe that this could be volcanic. There you go. Very possible. This is a speculation because ice doesn't leave to fire in the way they're describing this. It just doesn't. I've seen hail that has come down like snow, but... We have recently witnessed, believe it or not, we have witnessed whole areas of villages and all kinds of things being buried by rocks from spewing volcanoes, okay? That actually happened in Italy. It can, I saw one where there were so many rocks, fire, hot rocks that rained down. It was up to the roofs of the cars, Can you imagine? You know what? You go out to your car and it's buried in rock lava. That's a bad day. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, forget about getting that baby towed. It's, you know, (laughs) wow. And so what I'm saying here is, did you know that on the turn of the century, late 1800s, the volcano Krakatoa, when it blew up, it killed 30,000 people. Now, I just want to say this. That was a very small infrastructure compared to what is now built up around Krakatoa. There are literally, you know, hundreds of millions of people there. I don't know the number, but it's nothing like in the 1800s. And for that to have killed that many people during that time period is really fantastic. But here's another thing. The smoke of Krakatoa filled the skies around the earth. Wow. And so it was a major, major event. In fact, it's due. It's due for another explosion, according to scientists. And so I was looking on the Internet, and I found an article, and you can put this in your search engine look at it just like me. It's, it says 25 cities that could be buried by lava at any moment. So don't know for sure what God was making reference to here, but we can speculate, and it's not looking good. Whatever it is, it's not going to be good. Okay? So now we're going to go forward with the next trumpet, which is the second trumpet, and it's it says in verse 8, And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and a third part of the sea became blood. And we can see something very similar happening in Exodus. In Exodus seven nineteen through 21, 
it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying unto Aaron, Take thy rod, stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that there may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and vessels of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, as the Lord commanded. He lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood, and the fish that were in the river died. And so it goes on with verse 9, this second trumpet, and it says, And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. Now, I want to say that there is speculation that this is a meteor, that a giant meteor is going to come and fall into the, the ocean or something to this effect and is going to create this kind of cataclysmic event, okay? And that's a possibility. I wouldn't, I wouldn't question it. But I will say that we do now have a volcano that is, could possibly open up a mountainside that could go into the water and wreak havoc with a tsunami. And it's something that they're concerned about even today. So, right, I mean, these things are very possible. It could create an event of, you know, true horror for people. And so I'm trying to think of the name of that volcano. Do you know which one I'm referring to, Dina? Is it Yellowstone? No. No. Um, might be Iceland. I Boy, my memory fails me, but... This was a real concern recently for this thing, and it might be Spain. I'm not sure. I'd have to have to go back and check on that. But anyway, whatever it is, it's not going to be good, and God doesn't give us the whole picture here. He just kind of describes it, and so we just have to, you know, it is written, so we know it's going to happen, and it's going to cause death uh, with the fish in the sea. And we know that when animals in Hosea, we know the scripture that when God takes the animals away, that that's a form of punishment to the earth. Why? He removes the animals, the fish, the fowl, and the mammals because they have so badly mocked and reviled God. And that is the punishment. And so here again, we see this. It's really fantastic. You know, one time the Lord gave me a, a revelation. And this is really awesome. It has to do with all these animals dying, the fish dying, the mammals and everything out there dying. And here's how it works. Like I said, in Hosea, the scripture says that God takes these animals away because of all the evil that man is involved in. Mm -hmm. Now, Remember, when Jesus came to earth and started his ministry, Dina, he, one of the very first things he does is he gathers up his disciples. He introduces himself to Peter in the boat. Remember, Peter has a tough night. He's trying to fish. He can't <laughs> do it. It's like, you know, he's really frustrated and struggling. And Jesus comes along and says, okay, Peter, throw your net over. And he goes, oh, but I've been at this. No, it doesn't. Okay, all right, whatever you say. He throws the net over and he pulls in a huge number of fish, right? Yes, yes. And Peter, at that point, he realizes that he's not with just any guy that this is God, and he is awestruck, right, mm -hmm. by this event. Mm -hmm. 
and no surprise because where Jesus goes is life, right? He is life. Amen. Yes, he is. And so he pulls out this huge amount of fish. But this is the point. That was the beginning of Jesus's ministry. At that juncture, he's, you know, moving forward. And it's all these fish for these fishermen. And remember, isn't that one of the symbols of Christianity was the fish, right? That's right. The fish. Right. And so now we see fish all over the planet dying in mass, which is virtually the opposite of what happened when Jesus came to earth. So it's sort of a rejection of Jesus Christ symbolically. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely, yeah. Kind of sad. Oh, it's terrible. It's 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 terrible. It's like, okay, you know, God is saying, okay, you don't want my word. You don't want my truth. You know, I'm going to withdraw the life, blood, you know, that I gave. You see that? Mm-hmm. It's all symbolic. It's all symbolic. Okay, well, let's go forward. We're at the third trumpet, verse 10. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And Levin says, and the name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And so we know that this event will happen because God said it, and it will happen. You know, it's very interesting that Chernobyl in Ukrainian means wormwood. So they sort of like curse themselves by doing that, right? (laughs) Wow. So these events will happen. It is going to happen. And the hour is growing closer all the time. And let's take a look at the fourth trumpet, verse 12. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars, so as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe. To the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. And so there's three woes, okay? <laughs> and so we're going to be talking about that in upcoming chapters, okay? But what I want to say here is we're talking about darkness. Now, a lot of people are talking about this rumor going around that there's going to be three days of darkness before the rapture and i want to dispel that because that is not biblical okay what is biblical is what i just read now i want to read exodus 10 21 through 23 let's take a look at that and it says and the lord said unto moses stretch out thine hand toward heaven and there may be darkness over the land of egypt even darkness which may be felt boy that's dark okay And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. Okay, it mentions three days twice. Okay, I think that they get this three days thing from that reference to what happened in Exodus. But in nowhere in Revelation, do we see a mention of three days, Dina, 
And here's what we actually see. We actually see a third part of the sun was smitten and third part of the moon and third part of the stars. So we see darkness taking over the sun and the stars and the moon. But we see that the day shone not for a third part of it and the night likewise. Okay, so do the math. If you take a third part of a day and you take a third part of the night, which is that period, it adds up to eight hours of darkness. Okay, so you got to do the math there. And I'm not very good <laughs> at math, but it's pretty basic. It says that the day shone not for a third part of it and the night shone likewise. When you take that calculation and you do the math, that is eight hours of darkness. That is not three days. Okay, not three days. And this event takes place as as the fourth trumpet event. So we're well into the judgments. We're past the seals and into the trumpets. And God puts things in order because why? God is a God of order. Amen. Okay. And we saw that with the four horses of apocalypse because you can't take that out of order. You can't have death. You can't have famine. You can't have war and then introduce the Antichrist. It doesn't work like that because God is a God of order. And so I just want to, you know, put that up there for people to consider that in my estimation, that cannot be. And so if you're waiting for the three days of darkness to happen before you look or watch for the Lord, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I would not do that. I would get ready now. And I'm pretty sure that if there were three days of darkness over the earth, that, you know, a lot of Christians would sit up and pay attention, but they don't. They're under a strong delusion and they won't, unfortunately, before it's too late. Now, I do want to say something before we close the section out that we're in. I want you to take a look at a little study I did, Dina. Okay. Let's take a look at this. I think you're going to find this interesting. If you go to Revelation 8-7, we're in the book of Revelation, it says, The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees were burnt up. Okay? So that's interesting. A third part of the trees were burnt up. Revelation 8, 8 says, And the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and a third part of the sea became blood. Okay? A third part of the sea. So then we go to Revelation 8, 9, and it says, And the third part of the creatures were in the sea and had life, died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. So again, we're seeing, see the trend here? And then we go to Revelation 8.10, and it says, And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. There's definitely a story here. Right. Revelation 8.11, it says, And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters. Revelation 8.12 says, And the fourth angel sounded, and a third part of the sun was smitten, and a third part of the moon, and a third part of the stars, and a third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it. Okay, so Revelation 9.15, it goes on to say, And the four angels were loose, which were prepared for an hour, and a day, and a month, and a year to slay the third part of men. Okay, so Revelation 9.18 goes, By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire and by the smoke and brimstone which issued out of their mouths and then finally in revelation 12 4 it says and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven 
and did cast them to earth. Now that's in reference to the third of the angels that fell with Satan. That's right. And so I I looked at this one day and I went, wow, everything's in a third. You know, the punishments were delved out in thirds. And I got to thinking, you know, God is a God of order. And it's kind of like he does things in a sort of order. And I'm wondering if the third punishment that he's doing is in conjunction with a third of the angels that fell with Satan and that mankind would follow those angels. And so God is giving them the punishment that they have coming for following a third of the angels Very. and putting them as they're, you know, over themselves, uh, Satan and the third of the angels. That's a very real possibility. Yes. And so I'm just saying, you know, that that might be God's order, you know, just a possibility there, something to consider. Otherwise, I wouldn't know what that means exactly. But (laughs) I just, it just came to my mind that that would be in conjunction with mankind turning their backs to God and instead following the third of the angels that were thrown out of heaven as their punishment so anyway very interesting no no thank you for sharing that very interesting right right well so anyway this is where we are and we will be picking this up again really soon we're going to pick it up again with chapter nine and we're going to continue on looking at the fifth trumpet so you won't want to miss our next video because we're going to pick this up again And so we're leaving off with the fourth trumpet, and the next chapter we pick it up again with the fifth trumpet. Well, Susan, I want to thank you so much for um, explaining all of this to us and giving us these nuggets and truth. We so appreciate you, so thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks, and I appreciate you, Dina, and I appreciate everybody, you know, listening to Revelation, and we're trying to make it more easy and understandable and something that's not the posing horrible thing that people normally look at it as. We want to make it something that uh, people can read and follow, understand, and get ready, get ready for the Lord's return. Yeah, and you know, there's nothing to be afraid of right now. Well, there's nothing to be afraid of if you're number one, saved, all right? You're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ and you're completely surrendered to God, okay? Exactly. Um, And looking forward to his return. There's no fear for you there. But, um, and we're not living um, in these chapters that we read right now, obviously. But there is an urgency to, if you haven't given your life to Christ, to do so today. That is important. So um, you shouldn't be so much scared of these times than you should be if you don't know Christ. So I encourage you. Yeah, if you have any questions, you can reach out to us and um, we'd be happy to answer any questions for you about Jesus. And um, also, Susan, did you want to add anything to that or anything else? No, not really. Just please come back for the next chapter and uh, as we get deeper into Revelation. Yeah, yeah. And I will be um, posting this on BitChute and on Rumble. And Deanna is so kind to upload these as podcasts to Anchor and Google and Spotify and Apple. So thank you very much, Deanna. Shout out to you. And thank you to all of you who tune in to these shows weekly. 
We so appreciate you. And if you have not seen the prior chapters, I will make sure to include them below this video. And they're also going to be on our playlist with um, Jesus 24-7 on YouTube. So thank you so much again, everybody, for watching. And um, we will talk to you soon. God bless.